And if you're toggling between who you are inside of the workplace and outside of the workplace, and you're giving people a different experience at different points in time when they speak to you, it's much harder to trust you, to connect with you, and ultimately to do the work that I do. You need that genuine perspective. You need that emotion from people. You need the ugly bit so that you can create value. I'm Adam Connors from NetworkWise and your host of Who's Who in HR. Ask any successful CEO about the most important aspect of their company and they'll inevitably answer their people. And who is it that's responsible for their people? It's human resources. In fact, HR is the backbone of any elite organization. They attract, develop, and engage top talent, progress culture, secure, and manage important benefit programs, make sure you're appropriately paid, protect the best interest of each employee and the company, and so much more that, quite frankly, often gets taken for granted. On Who's Who in HR, I'll have in-depth discussions with well-known human resource leaders who offer insights into who they are, how they got there, and the areas they support. During our conversation, these leaders will reveal beneficial industry advice and innovative trends in the HR space that's contributing to keeping the world's most successful companies at the top of their game. It is with great pleasure that I introduce you to Chris Kozik, the Global Vice President of Human Resources of GenMath. He puts a huge emphasis on building trust with those he works with. Let's dive right in. Mr. Kozik, we are live. How are you today, my friend? I'm doing really well, Adam. How are you? All right. You sound good. You, uh, you ready to kick this thing off and have some fun? I sure am. All right, we're going to start off, Chris, with some rapid-fire questions. I want to let the audience get a little flavor for kind of who you are, your personality, how you tick, and then what we're going to do, we're going to dig in a little bit and let everybody know just a little bit more about your background, where you work, what your role is, and from there, we're going to roll into the meat of the conversation and just really kind of get under the hood in terms of your experience, things you're uh, going through these days and uh, kind of how you see the future of uh, HR. Sound good? Sounds like a plan. All right, here we go, man. Introvert, extrovert, or would you find yourself kind of somewhere in the middle of that centrovert, ambivert space? I'd have to still say extrovert, but the older I get, the more introverted I think I'm getting in my spare time. I'm not sure if it's factual or not having a different preference whether you're working or in your personal time but that's the feeling i get as i'm aging you know i gotta start keeping stats on this because i asked this question to a lot of people and the majority of people that were or are extroverts do lean the other way and then just the other day i came across the first person who actually was more who was a strong introvert that was leaning towards extrovert as i got older so this question is intriguing so thank you for sharing Talk to me about what you do to kind of keep yourself sharp, both mentally as well as physically. So I have young kids. That keeps me sharp both mentally and physically. Staying sharp physically, I had for years this complex of taking time for myself because I worked so much. So when I would take time for myself to stay sharp physically, I kind of felt guilty because 
I hadn't given the amount of time that I that I really had intended to to the family, to the kids. And I've turned that into a more of an opportunity now where physical activity, we create opportunities to do these things together, whether it's working out in the basement at night with my wife or going cycling with the kids or working out with my daughters or playing basketball with my son, doing things where I can kind of marry those two worlds where I want to stay sharp physically for myself, but I struggle with the time and the family. So I combine them and I feel like I get the, the best of both worlds. Oh, that's a great answer. I like that. What about, tell me about a habit that you have, uh, good or bad, that uh, you'd be kind enough to share with uh, the audience here. Sure early to bed, early to rise. I think early in, uh, at an early part of my career, I always, and I, I don't know if this is the, the right or the wrong thing to say, but I approached everything in a very competitive way. And I always wanted to be the first person to the office and the first one being productive. And it's created a habit that's never going to be broken. I wake up probably around four o'clock in the morning and I get my day started, but I get it started going to work. But on the flip side, I'm going to bed nine, ten o'clock, a lot of times earlier than than my kids. So getting up early, getting early starts, I think is a big habit of mine. And, and, and I love it because it creates opportunity to do things that you normally don't get to do. Most of my day is consumed with meetings and FaceTime and, and interactions with people, which is of great value doing what I do, but it leaves little time to do your administration, build slide decks, uh, all, all the other things. Think, read, research, all of those other things, and I still have that opportunity because of the hours and the schedule I keep. And on the, at the end of the day, I feel better about shutting it down kind of early and reengaging with the family. Otherwise, none of it would be worth it. I love that. I'm a morning guy. Also, I get more done before 7 a.m. than I probably do between 8 and 6. It's definitely different stuff. Yeah, 100%. Tell me, to give everybody a better sense of kind of your personality, share with me one of the last things that you've done that put a, that made you laugh. Okay. It, it's a simple but hard question because I'm a happy guy. People ask me, actually, why are you smiling? Uh, all the time I get that. And my answer is, well, why are you not, right? <laughs> I think <laughs> there, there, there needs to be reason to not smile. So laughter goes hand in hand with that. I, I think the last good belly laugh that I had were in this, uh, you know, age of, of COVID and working remotely. And so as a practice, we've actually created a virtual global happy hour for my entire team around the world Friday afternoons. And there's different themes. We rotate ownership of the meeting or the happy hour theme. And one of my colleagues in Europe had made it this past Friday that you would have to choose a theme in the background of your team's portal and the level of creativity that people had and the completely insane and hysterical backgrounds and the, the level that people went to. We had a, one of one of my friends had an aquatic theme in the background and showed up to the happy hour with a bathing cap goggles and a bathing suit and just doing this in front of, you know, full global team. It was absolutely hysterical. And, 
I, I think I, I still got sore abs because of it. <laughs> so do you accredit that to the culture of your organization? Is this just people being, uh, or is it just people being crazy because of the times? Um, no, I, I, I think it's both. I think it's, uh, I, I think it's the, the culture that, that we try to establish, not only within the organization, but, but certainly within the team. And, and the reality is people do need to let off some steam. There's always going to be things you want to say or ways in which you want to behave that are maybe not going to be as comfortable doing in front of your family. And, and having that opportunity to be able to create that environment with colleagues and blowing off some steam is super valuable right now that's great and now did you have something to do with putting that together or you being a leader sitting at the top of the organization does that kind of help everybody else in terms of letting the guard down a little bit and feeling a little more psychologically safe absolutely and i think i align with everything that you said there first and foremost i started this practice because you know, look, first we're HR people and sometimes our practice can cloud life. Are we supposed to do this? Can we do this? Well, first, certainly we can let our hair down amongst our own community, first and foremost. And second, if this is who we are as people, I don't believe that we shouldn't be that very thing in the workplace and amongst the, each other. Uh, so I felt really good about doing this. We've worked very hard to build this sense of team, this sense of community over the past couple of years. And and I didn't want this crisis to dilute that. So in the absence of travel, in the absence of being in the workplace, I thought that this was a very easy, casual thing that we could do for our team and also use it as a test case if this or a version of would work more at a macro level for the enterprise. Haven't gone to that length yet, but really enjoy it within the team right now. That's great. So if you don't mind, share a little bit. Tell us what is your role within your organization and tell us about your company. Sure. I'm the global head of human resources for uh, the largest European biotech company called GenMab. Uh, GenMab's about 20 years old. Uh, in its roots and throughout its history, predominantly an R&D organization. We just had a very successful U.S. IPO to have us dual listed both on the, the Danish exchange and, and in the U.S. And it's a very nimble, uh, innovative, uh, growing biotech company that I have the, the great privilege to really have a great influence on not only the people, but the culture. That sounds like a fun job. And were you involved? Or I guess you had to be involved in the IPO process. Um, on the periphery, of course, you, you know, more than anything, this was a, a financial exchange. But when it comes down to communication and uh, change management, and there is a, a part of this, right? We've materially changed the focus of the organization. And there's a very strong history and legacy for the organization. And when you go from a European company uh, and a European R&D company to a global and a dual listed U.S. and biotech with a commercial focus, uh, there's a massive amount of change management and messaging that goes into that process in order to have this land well. And so I played a role in 
part of it, but let's call it not in the uh, in, in the transaction itself. I got to show up at the stock exchange and you know, be a part of ringing the bell, but I didn't do the heavy lifting. <laughs> That's being humble. Something that you've told me, and I'd love to try to figure out about the best way to kind of phrase this question, but no one's ever really prepared. It's almost like having a kid. You can never be fully prepared. In terms of your role as global head of uh, human resources, what do you feel is your biggest area of strength and I don't know if it's a certain part of human resources, whether it was the recruiting, whether it's benefits, you talked about change management, or do you feel that it was more about the leadership that you're bringing to the table or obviously a combination of all of it? Uh, I know that's a loaded question. Yeah, and I'll leave it up to you to kind of take it sure, from there. Sure, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll try to parse through it. And, and I could also tell you for sure that if you ask me this question Three years ago, I would have definitely given you a different answer. And I think a lot of it, and, and whether it's what's contributed to my style or my approach or otherwise, but I historically underestimate myself. And almost every morning I wake up and I pinch myself that I actually have the job that I do. And I like that. And I hope it never changes and it keeps not only me, me humble, but it also is very motivating to continue to build myself and to get better every day because I don't feel like I deserve anything and I have to work for everything that's in front of me. And I think that comes out in my work. And so when you ask me what, where, if I distill this question down, where do I have the, the greatest organizational impact? I'm very selective about the companies that I've joined, and I'm usually joining younger, small and mid-sized organizations that are on a rapid growth trajectory. And my ability to operate in a fluid change environment and, and work to build structure, I think from a work output perspective is the biggest value. But when I joined my current organization, GenMab, I had prior experience with another European biotech company that was very established, mid-sized company, massive global presence and a small US presence. And I joined that organization and, and really it's a great growth story. We grew up the Americas from uh, about 170 people to close to a thousand in a three year period of time. And there's a lot that went into that and a lot of things that I could you know, feel proud of or that the team and I you know, had contributed. But it was a comment after I had left. And, and I really did. I, I know where my sweet spot as a professional is. And as I was leaving, and I, I left because the organization was relocating its headquarters into a geography where it just wasn't possible for me. And I'd been in the trenches with that leadership team for years. We had relied on each other, but we were leaving. And I was one of the only leaders who wasn't making the move with the organization. And I knew that the enterprise had reached a scale and a mass where it may not be my sweet spot anymore. That maturity of the organization was growing. And that's not necessarily what I believe is the optimal space for me to play in. So... I resign myself to the reality that I feel good about 
where we had brought the organization to in terms of its development, but mm, there could be opportunity in here for someone who had a different skill set, a different sweet spot than I would to take it the next step further. And after after leaving and still staying in touch with old colleagues and peers and, and friends, I got a comment which was incredibly special to me, and, and it's related to that aspect of me that I underestimate. And that person said, look, the replacement that had been hired after me is a beautifully accomplished professional. And I can see even from an outside perspective is doing lots and lots of things that I wouldn't probably couldn't have done. But one of my peers had said to me, you know, the thing that we miss about you is the connectivity. You brought everyone together. And I think when you're talking about a leadership team and having a leadership team with its own culture and operating cohesively and having trust and transparency. And if I could do that, to me, that's the most special thing. And I wouldn't have given myself credit for that unless I hadn't gotten that, that comment. But I think retrospectively, if I could be acknowledged for that, and again, I think if you're looking at a hierarchy of needs or how priorities would flow through an organization. If you don't have that alignment and trust within the leadership team, you have nearly nothing downstream after that. And so if I can continue to do that throughout my career, in addition to ensuring that I take care of the core business relative to my role, I would be very satisfied with my career. That's an awesome answer, man. I could dissect that all day long. Let me ask you this. What have you done? Was this something that you've worked on to do in order to build the trust, to make people feel comfortable with you? And if so, what could you share with others that they could do similar to what you have done? I think it's just really practicing, and I don't know if it's something to actually practice, but embracing authenticity. I think I work with a lot of executives who... I know people who have actually taken courses and constructed their leadership persona. Or more commonly, I work with people who I know, both professionally and personally, and they're two different people inside and outside of the office. And I know there's risk of being either too casual or too personal, and that's not what I'm referencing. But People can connect with you and people can trust you when they not only know they can rely on you, but they know what they can expect from you. And if you're toggling between who you are inside of the workplace and outside of the workplace and you're giving people a different experience at different points in time when they speak to you, it's much harder to trust you, to connect with you, and ultimately to do the work that I do, you need that genuine perspective. You need that emotion from people. You need the ugly bit so that you can create value. And so not only if people don't trust you, but they also don't have confidence that you can create value with that trust that they've given you, you'll be ineffective in your role. So I know we haven't gotten a lot into the nuts and bolts and the nitty gritty of HR practice or or otherwise. I think this is more 
general leadership practice. And at this point, to the extent that, yes, I have to ensure execution against our headcount plan and staffing, we have to create a competitive total reward strategy and otherwise. But I think, first, I have experts in each of these areas to oversee those tasks. But where I am now, what I'm doing is really the greatest value generation is in enterprise leadership, looking across the business, being a presence for people, ensuring execution within my functional discipline, but operating as an internal consultant and helping the organization and other leaders solve problems. We could have just wrapped up the entire podcast from my perspective with just that answer to that question, because I think that's a huge takeaway being able to just, again, like you said, to be yourself, your true self, so people understand what they're getting, so they don't have to question who you are. Are you the corporate Chris, or are you, you know, casual Chris? You're showing them that, yeah, you can be both and execute. I also like that you mentioned about trusting your people, so making a good hire, surrounding yourself, I guess, uh, you know, it's like what, what a network is, it's this, the strength uh, you surround yourself, I should, should say, with the weakness of the individual, with the strength of the group. So you, as a real leader, you're identifying your weaknesses, and more so, you've uh, surrounded yourself with people that fill the gap there, and that it's your job to, again, kind of guide the ship, air traffic control. Is that a fair? That's completely fair, and I think it's still tied to that foundational concept that we started talking about at the beginning of the discussion, where... I guess I'm not taking myself too seriously, if not underestimating myself, which gives me complete clarity of what I'm not good at. And so I don't have an intention right now to gain expert level proficiency in everything that I don't know. That's just not going to happen. And that's not where I am in my career or my life. But acknowledging where those gaps are and surrounding myself with smart, capable people is an absolute key. And not kidding yourself. You, you need to be not only insightful, but you need to be honest about what you're not good at and then ensure that you not only know people who can fill those gaps for you, but you need to operate with trust and ensure that they're empowered to lead in their area because then the dots are connected. I'm, I'm coming to these people as experts in their area because I don't know what they know. And now if on the back end, I start ad-libbing with my own thoughts and feelings, now of course we're going to collaborate and ensure that we're aligned with things, but it's not going to disempower them to the extent where they can't lead or they can't be creative in their discipline because that's why I work with them in the first place. Yeah, that also comes back to that whole trust thing, too. They trust you, you trust them. I think it's Warren Buffett. I forgot how he worded it, but he essentially said, you take trust for granted until it's broken. It's similar to breathing. Right. You take breathing for granted until it's broken. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's the, the same concept. If you don't mind, I'd love to get into, um, you mentioned COVID. Obviously, it's something that's really you know, on the forefront of everybody personally and professionally. And I'm sure there are a lot of other CHROs that are listening to this right now that could definitely take a perspective, a different perspective if they are, haven't come to this conclusion already themselves. Would you mind answering some questions surrounding this topic? 
I'd be happy to. It's what I'm eating, sleeping, and breathing uh, for the past couple of months. So if I can uh, take any of that knowledge or learnings and create benefit for others, I, I would love to do it. Awesome. Okay. But before that, I found the quote from Warren. So I want to say it before I, because <laughs> I completely bastardized it. Trust is like the air we breathe. When it's present, nobody really notices. But when it's absent, everybody notices. So yeah, just need to clarify that. All right. I think, I think you could say the same for a corporate culture. <laughs> Ooh, ain't that the truth? All right. COVID. Let me ask you this. I mean, we could probably just go with this one question and see where it goes. What COVID questions are you thinking about? Fortunately, and, and, and Adam, we're, we're talking at what I hope to be the tail end of, of the peak in this East Coast, greater New York City area. So the conversation is beginning to evolve into returning to work and, and returning to normal. But I think that normal is a very different go forward normal than a historical normal. And what the future looks like is somewhat company dependent relative to that company's culture and the belief that the, these foundational beliefs that a company has around the value and necessity for human interaction. What we've done over what's now going into close to eight weeks of remote working and or social distancing and isolation is we've proven that we can remain productive as a workforce. It's a fact, right? We've proven that. But what we haven't proven is what else are we missing, right? And the longer that we continue operating in this dynamic, the more that will come out in terms of what we're missing. We can speculate about certain things, but there are other things where only time will tell. And actually there's geographic influences to this. I'm seeing workforces and countries around the world react differently to this. But I'm also seeing companies operate differently in different areas of companies operate differently. As an example, we have a heavy research orientation of the company. And our lab professionals actually can't work. So that's one area of the company or our industry that, whether it's manufacturing and, and supply chain facilities or lab, there are certain disciplines in the workforce who just cannot work without being in the office. But by and large, people have remained productive. But now you're, we're experiencing other challenges the longer that this persists it's counterintuitive in a sense. People are actually working, and I've seen some studies that are showing people are working 30% more hmm. than they would have outside of COVID because number one, they can't go anywhere. Two, everyone knows everyone is accessible at all times and folks are just rolling out of bed and working in the morning and then working through, through the evening. And that's having an impact on people. The nature of work is different where those little vignettes of time that exist throughout the day, whether it's you're chatting with someone uh, on the way to the loo or you're going to the coffee machine or grabbing lunch with someone, there are different experiences that break up the normal day versus working remotely. All of our interactions are incredibly targeted. 
I need to meet with you on this topic. I schedule something. I have to ask you this. I call you for it. And we're missing these little breaks in the day. Ultimately, you compound this with the reality where people feel funny or reluctant to take vacation time right now because they can't go anywhere. And if they're not working, what are they going to do? So I'm seeing a, what could be a major impact relative to burnout on people because, in, and I said, we stay productive, but we also heaped on a, a massive amount of, of premium work on the people in this unanticipated shift. I can't imagine any companies hadn't planned their workforce to 100, 110% capacity. Now everyone's gone remote and we've had a real time manage that 110% capacity demand and figure out how to do it all remotely and completely reinvent ways of working. So you've got all of these factors which are contributing to what I'm fearful of is a potential burnout, a widespread burnout situation unless we react to it differently. Culture, you know, how do you create culture or sustain or cultivate culture? Because if we get into culture, there's going to be a million schools of thought, whether it just happens organically or you create it or uh, however. But again, culture in the context of work becoming transactional, right? If I, if I play this out over a prolonged period of time, and this is a forever thing, I know, know and hope it's not going to be, but if it was, how do I assess my level of connectivity to a company, to my colleagues in a full remote scenario versus going in and interacting with people every day? My concern is, is that it's just work that I'm doing in my home office or at my kitchen table. And I could do that with any company. So I think the value of connecting to a company and its culture are at risk the longer that this situation persists. And it's incumbent upon companies and leaders to figure out ways to create those dynamics on a remote basis, or we're going to realize those risks over time. That is a great point. And you're the first person I've heard that has brought that to my attention, at least that I'm aware of. So what do you do for that? Which one, the culture or the, the, the culture? Burnout? Yeah, um, the culture. Yeah, the burnout. I'm not, you know. Well, I think the major element of prior normalcy that is the greatest challenge to recreate is experiences. I think what, what creates relation, and now when you talk about the need for relationships. So you could say, okay, well, do I need relationship with the people I work with? My answer is absolutely yes. Because mm -hmm. if you don't have trust, it's very hard to resolve issues. It's hard to team. But hell, innovation, when the most innovative ideas are the ones that are shot down the quickest because they're extreme, they're and you don't have trust, you're never going to articulate a provocative idea or otherwise. So if we don't have relationship, the material impact to work is going to be absolutely remarkable. So in my mind, the key is creating experiences for people. 
we talked about a silly little happy hour, but we have experiences together, right? Why do people like to wait when you have the opportunity to interact with people? You don't just talk on the phone uh, for the weekend and then feel like you had a great weekend. You go and do something with people. You go to a ball game. You go have a meal together. You go for a walk. You have an experience with people. And that is, the, in my mind, the hardest thing to recreate. So creating fora where people can have experiences is the key. And can we use those for uh, even for a, a great purpose? Can we use that for uh, to solve common problems that we're all facing right now? I'm running out of recipes during uh, <laughs> yeah. during lockdown. How are you managing this? I can't get certain things from the store. How are you making not the same meal that you've had 10 times for your family? How are you staying fit during isolation how how are you structuring your workplace in order to feel productive and focused and then the trick is well how do you create those opportunities so we've done things like establish team spaces on leveraging technology like yammer or our intranet where people can post photographs of their home offices we have trivia activities where people can join we uh, have uh, trainers provide exercise opportunities that are done globally over Zoom and half the company does these things together. All of those situations where we can create experiences for people to supplement the meetings and the phone conversations, are the, most, the most powerful thing we can do to maintain that sense of community and connectivity while we're all in isolation. So important. And, and this time has made people reflect on the importance of that connectivity and, and people. I'll, I'll tell you something that I'm, I'm sure you're going to agree with, but is really interesting. They did a study in palliative care. Um, palliative care is kind of like when you know that the end is near. And the three most important things to people as they were reflecting on their life were the connections with their friends outside of their family that a lot of people reflected that they wish they had spent more time um, with friends, how important that is. Uh, another right. one was their legacy, which I just think is just an interesting one in general. But uh, yeah, that that connectivity is just so important. And if you're able to establish that within your organization, there's also another statistic, nothing to do with palliative care, that there are a lot of people that don't leave organizations if they have good friends at the company. They're like like yeah. seven or eight times less likely to leave just because they've got uh, a nice environment and good friends that they look forward to seeing every day. So if you're able to kind of build that and establish that, you're going to really, uh, it's just another way of retaining top talent. I completely agree with that. And I look with envy at some of our European sites because the nature of employment in many European countries is so dramatically different foundation. I think it's steeped in a legal aspect, but there's something very special that we can learn from other countries, particularly in the U.S., from other countries that have general prolonged tenures. Now, look, the U.S. is employment at will. The employment's utterly transactional. Here one day, gone the next. And that's simply our reality. And that impacts the way people 
foster their relationship with their employer. However, in many European countries, in Asia, you have great tenure. People stay at companies for significantly longer in aggregate than they do in the U.S. Yes, partly because they're under contracts, it's hard to get rid of people or, or and a multitude of reasons. However, the longevity of those employment relationships really establishes a sense of community that I find I'm completely jealous of. Imagine how many people you've worked with that have been together, working together for more than 10 years. That's in the utter rarity in the U.S., but you find in other places in the world, it's certainly not. And when you've got those relationships in place and you've got culturally a less transactional orientation to employment, you start seeing people come together more outside of the workplace, bringing their families together and really having a sense of community built around the workplace. That just doesn't exist in the U.S. And so a lot of times when we talk about different engagement measures or outreach type of activities, they make perfect sense here, but they don't in Europe. And I think it's one of the keys of kind of unlocking longer term potential in the U.S. is trying to capture some of those cultural tenants that are present in very long tenured European workforces. That's a conversation. <laughs> That's a podcast in and of itself. <laughs> Let me ask you this. What was, uh, to change gears a little bit, sure. I know we're a little tight on time. What was some of the best advice that somebody ever gave you? It's, it's interesting. And I have to say, because I actually just told this to one of my kids and it's the concept of accepting feedback. I had a boss one time who was giving me some feedback. And this, you know, I've already kind of uh, opened the kimono to the audience, this self-confidence concept. And I think my response was organically driven from that predisposition, but I was getting feedback. And he saw me gearing up. I was about to, I had my rebuttal. I, I had reason why he was wrong. And he stopped me. And he said, stop. I can see in your face. You are thinking, stop thinking and listen to me. And it's really this concept around a generous listening, particularly when you're getting feedback. That's been an absolute game changer for me. And even if in that feedback, when you're receiving it, you're not responding, if you're formulating your response, you're not connecting with the message. And so I think one of the best things that I've learned over the years is to listen very generously in all situations, not just when I'm getting feedback, but particularly then, but at all times. That's fantastic. And then how'd it go with your kid, by the way? <laughs> that message landed uh, well? Or... Uh, it was a, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, dad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Chris, this has been fantastic. I got to tell you, I'm really excited to get this out and let other people learn more uh, about your story, what you've done. I think your leadership style is fantastic. I think uh, your organization is clearly leading. As you have IPO'd. 
you've done very well during this time. I like the way that you're thinking about COVID and you've taken a different perspective on things and other people that at other organizations that I've been speaking with. So there's been so much value that has come out of this conversation. And I know that you've got a lot on your plate right now. So I really appreciate you carving out that time to spend with me and all those that are listening today. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. Of course. Yeah. Anytime, Adam, it's been such fun. And if I can uh, come back again, I would definitely do so. Oh yeah. All right, everyone. We heard that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, be careful when the recording button is on. <laughs> all right, Chris, thank you so much. All right. Take care. Many thanks for listening to who's who in HR. If you're looking to connect with more top-level HR professionals, be sure to log on to NetworkWise.com to find out how you could be part of an HR mastermind group. Also, subscribe to our newsletter to stay up-to-date on everything happening with NetworkWise. In the interim, make it a great day and remember to always NetworkWise.